Hello, and welcome back to Hold On, I'm Talking Brother. My name is Joe Greenwood, and you are listening to our review of UFC 283 Teixeira vs. Hill from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. With a co-main event of Debson Figueiredo versus Brandon Moreno. And Tom, we're a bit late on the podcast this week, and I apologise to listeners for that, but I will point out that every time I win the predictions game, Tom is not that keen to record. And case in point again, he's bottled it. He doesn't want to come on. He doesn't want to acknowledge me as the champ. I'm the champ, Tom. How does that feel? Joe, you've got me. You've got me <laughs> red-handed. Uh, I've been blaming everything I can to avoid conceding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really made you this title fight. That's where your prediction stood out. Yeah. It didn't go exactly as you thought it would, but it certainly didn't go as I was hoping it would. No, I mean, also my, my reasoning of... Um, it would be funny is definitely not what happened in the end. So we'll get into that right now, listeners. Uh, the main event of UFC 283, Jamal Hill wins. Sorry, we were made fun of for this. Jamal Hill uh, wins the vacant light heavyweight title from Glover Teixeira. And we'll talk about the performance first, and then we'll get into the bigger picture of where this stands in terms of light heavyweight. But... Simply put, this is as pure an ass-kicking as you are going to see at this level of the UFC. Agree or disagree? Agree, agree. And uh, and Glover's kind of track record and uh, time in the sport allowed him to take this ass-whipping. I think uh, if this was earlier on in the card, if this wasn't uh, Glover in Brazil at 43, it would have been stopped sooner. Mm. If it wasn't a man whose strategy is to kind of step through that fire, to take a beating, to lull the opponent into a, I don't know, into a stupor mm. when they punched his big skull so many times that they just can't take it anymore mm. and succumb to a takedown. Uh, that's what Glover does. Slowly, slowly uh, gets on top, but that never looked likely here. I was all for the fight being stopped before we got to the end of the fifth round. Yeah, it was the fourth round was really the one. And John Hackleman, uh, Chuck Liddell's longtime trainer, Glover to share his longtime trainer. I mean, that's where Glover got his start was training with Chuck in America. And Hackleman's had a long partnership and career with him. Uh, Hackleman was calling for this to be stopped. I mean, Hackleman has a history of doing this um, and it's kind of almost become his thing, uh, along with like the likes of Trevor Whitman. And Hackleman even said, this is the last time I'm ever going to corner. I'm not going to corner again after this. I did it for Glover. I wanted to save him. And I couldn't. I will say, though, that fifth round, all things considered, if you're going to let a guy go back out there, that's and that's about as good as a guy can do in terms of an ass-kicking. Um, it was pretty impressive from Glover, that fifth round. I mean, I'll just give you my score straight up. I gave Hill all five rounds. I didn't give any 10-8s, but I was close. Oh, I was close on the third, I believe, where just Glover was so short of ideas. Um, but we'll go through this round by round now. We'll start off with the round one where Hill, it just, like, Glover couldn't get anything going with a takedown defense. The takedown attacks, sorry, I should say. He'd get into the position and then just couldn't get to the next stage, couldn't get close, couldn't push through. And then Hill... His knees in the takedown defense range was superb, I thought. Really sapped him of any energy. Yeah, Glover really paid for those uh, attempts, if you can call them that. He never really kind of locked locked the arms together, never was able to drive through any any takedowns, really. 0 for 7 in round 1. Mm. Um, and Hill was, was lightening them up, as you say, with the knees. It was like um, he could get to him, but he couldn't commit to them because of what Hill was doing. As well, if that makes sense, like he got to, he's got his hands to the leg, and he got one leg up. But like Hill, what he was able to do meant that Glover couldn't push through. Basically, yeah, I can't recall a moment in the first round where I thought Glover uh, was going to take him down. Mm. Yeah, uh, and that really speaks to to Hill's defense, but also you know Glover. Um, I don't know, he was lacking a little bit of explosion. I did feel like he looked like <laughs> a 43-year-old man. Yeah, 43-year-old man. Yeah. yeah, that's something that maybe we kind of looked over is that he is 43 and that a 43-year-old fighter doesn't normally get to do this, particularly in MMA. Sometimes in boxing you get the freaks, 
Bernard Hopkins winning a title in his mid forties, etc., etc. But yeah, this this surely I mean, was the the correct natural thing to have happened. Absolutely, absolutely, and I truly believe Glover is a clean athlete, so you know he's he's not able to compensate for that <laughs> decline. Um, but yeah, I I mean, of course, when we saw the fight against Prohashka. You know, Glover did not look any bit the old man that he did in no. this fight. Um, now, it's hard to say that time caught up with him just, you know, in these short intervening months since the Brahashka fight. But, of course, that that could be a factor. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think really the praise should go to, to Hill. Mm. Who, I mean, it was a real, it was a masterclass, Joe. I, I, I don't know if there are things you wanted to pick out of, of round two. Just he was just so utterly dominant. The left head kick from Southpaw was the was the prevalent thing of the whole fight, and apparently Hill came up with that in the fight. He d- it wasn't game planned at all. Now whether that's just smoke and mirrors, and you know he's trying to just set out a warning to these guys who are going like, "Don't mess with me," because I'll figure you out in there. But if he game planned it, superb. And if he came up with it, also superb. Um, like I just it, it was an absolute. Absolutely superb performance. That was where Glover got one takedown in that round as well. But Hill straight back up, no messing. It was he just leveled up in ways that we hadn't really considered. I don't think. No, I mean he really, he really surprised me, Joe. Uh, really, it's just so hard to call. It was so, it was so one-sided. Um, mm. But I particularly did love the the switch the switching of stances. He looked very comfortable out of both both positions. But at the same time, he wasn't getting much back from the other side. No, I don't know. I think I, I think there are fighters in that uh, light heavyweight division who will uh, punish you for switching stances so, at will like that. It became yeah. quite predictable. Um, yeah, for sure. For me, but uh, Glover wasn't able to adapt. And also, Hill's leaning like he le- he lent away from the strikes. You know, he lent away from those, like... I mean, he didn't really have much of an effort, did he, Glover? He couldn't really get much going there. Well, well, as uh, Hill is kind of leaning away, obviously controlling the distance, he's just inviting Glover into that to that range where he's going to hurt him, he's going to punish him. Yeah. Glover has a habit anyway of kind of, kind of bull rushing headfirst uh, towards mm. opponents, reaching when he, when he wants to land his big hook. Mm. He has to step forward into that, and of course that then opened up the the uppercuts for mm. him, which were which were pretty notable as well. It was a uh, round yeah. round three where he really unloaded that uppercuts on on Glover. So again, it was it was almost like revealing more of his offense as he kept going. Like he didn't he wasn't breaking that out early. He was waiting. But for al- also, when he saw what was coming back to him from Glover, mm. and he just realized, okay. I'm going to start taking this guy apart. Yeah. I, I, I feel free to do that. Yeah. This, this threat is not, is not growing. I know what it is, and now I'm going to show you what I can do. Let's talk about round five. So round four, Glover's just beaten up. The cuts are horrendous. Go on, Tom. It's a 10-8 for me, by the way, Joe. Round three? Round, round four. Oh, round uh, four. Yeah, round three and four, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah, just, he I really mean, teed off you, on, on that fourth, didn't he? Was, in round four, you're talking about 79 significant strikes versus 18. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about a Glover with substantial cuts uh, in multiple places, particularly the one on the brow. Mm. I was ready for the fight to be stopped. It was it was a ten eight for me. Fair enough. Round five, Glover comes back, and he that was the thing is that he got the takedown. He got that hail mary takedown. He did it, and you're like, oh my god, can Glover do it? And it was fascinating as well because he went to side control, and obviously, if you're in side control you have to release your arms to unleash any sort of ground pound, which then gives them a release. So Glover went back to half guard because he couldn't get them out. So he went back to half guard and then tried to start working from there. But then that allowed Hill to use his legs to then sweep the position, turn it back around, and he finished the fight on his terms from there. I mean, it was... I mean, maybe that says something about Glover. He's clearly lost a five-round fight. Ten seconds to go and he's trying to wave Hill on, like, come on, come on. And it's just like, yeah, all right, he's obviously trying to invite the firefight that's not going to be there. But maybe we can look into that just like, this guy is an absolute dog and he just wants to keep going to the very end. Um, 
let's talk about now. Post fight, Glover retires. Um, Jamal Jamal Hill cuts a, a teary promo, and it feels like an end of an era of such, doesn't it? And the start of something new. I'm not saying start the the Machida era starts now or anything like that, but we've sort of like said goodbye to the last of a certain era of Brazilian fighter. You know, you had your first ones of um, Hoist, uh, Walid Ishmael, uh, those sorts of like pioneers of the Brazilian scene. Then you had, you know, Ricardo Hirona, Shogun, Vandalay. Glover was kind of at the end of that sort of era going into the new one. And I th- it feels like, I don't know, a link to the past is sort of closed now with Glover retiring. Yeah, I mean, Glover's definitely the last man standing who's still at the cutting edge, who's still yeah. at the elite uh, from from that era. So, undoubtedly so. We are uh, bidding farewell to it. And, yeah, I mean, you have to credit Glover for for, for going this long, as, as we have done yeah. previously. You know, we're big fans of Glover here on the pod. You have to look back at that run through Blahovic, Thiago Santos, Anthony Smith, Krilov, Kutalaba. And Roberson, you have to acknowledge that you know he did ride his 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 luck. Shall oh, we he say, did. In a oh, few he of those did. fights, yeah. particularly. I mean, we started off with Carl Roberson. He definitely rocked in that fight. We remember, he had some trouble with Anthony Smith too. Um, Smith was tearing off on him. Smith, and then just Glover just kept going. Glover is just a great example of a guy who just lives the lifestyle, lives the work, and just continually just got better over time until. You know, his window of opportunity was closing. And it was like, here's my chance. I've got to push. I've got to take it. And he did. And it's... Glover Teixeira breaks through at 42. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As the call from Anik goes, it's just a wonderful moment. But let's talk about the future. Let's talk about Jamal Hill. Um, To me, there's obviously the looming figure of Prohashka. However, I will say that if we're going to go by the timeline that we've been told, that Prohashka won't be back until September, October time, I think Hill should get another title fight in before that. And to me, there's only one man that should be in there, and that's uh, Magomed Ankalaev. Okay, Joe, you said it was such certainty that I almost expected uh, a call-out for Alex Pereira. Oh, right. No, no, no. Pereira Adesanya. Pereira has said he wants to face Hill for the title because he's just like, oh, I can beat this guy. <laughs> That's what he's, I can beat this guy. Um, but Pereira has also said, I'm going to get ready. If Izzy's not ready, I'll face Whitaker. Which is like, oh, I love that sort of talk. I love it. Uh, but I think Pereira will be there maybe by the end of the year, depending on what happens with Prahashka, what happens with who wins. And uh, from well, Joe, I'm not complaining about any of these outcomes. They all sound like great flight fights. P- Pereira mentioned J- Jamal Hill, and uh, and I definitely got my attention. Mm. But if we're going to keep it in the light heavyweight division, uh, we know that Ankalaev beat Blahovic. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. <laughs> what that right. one judge? That one judge is like, it's a draw. Just kind of like, you lot figure it out. You screwed him. You utterly screwed him. Like he won that. Fight. You did. You did. I mean, because. Like I do side with the UFC in a bit in that it is also there is a show element of performance. Personalities matter. The way that you win does matter. Mm. I wouldn't be devastated if Ankalaev had to get another victory. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I, I very much understand why he would be aggrieved at that and why, you know, people who are uh more mm. inclined to respecting the kind of hierarchy of the rankings and uh you know the Little the the bean counters out there, right? They all want to see Ankalaev in there. For me, I'm I'm all right if it's not the next one. Probably should be. The mm. thing is, if it's not Ankalaev, there really isn't another candidate in the light heavyweight division who deserves a shot. No, no, Blahovic isn't there. Anthony Smith's not there. Rakic is coming back from an injury. Krilov's not there. Um, Walker is not there, but. Uh... <laughs> I'll say yeah. Rakic. He one big win, and Rakic should be should be in the picture too. Sure, sure. Prohashka is the obvious one, though, isn't it? Just like the champ who never lost the belt. I mean, Hill versus Prohashka would be. Whew, man, that would be fireworks if if and well, when that happens. 
if Ankalaev gets to fight Hill, Joe, I don't think we're going to get to see Prohashka versus Hill. You don't think so? I'll tell them. I don't think so. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. That leaning back that he did against Glover, yeah, that's going to get punished against Ankalaev. And yeah, I think Ankalaev will have learned something from that Blachowicz fight. Now, let's talk about the co main event. A conclusion, an emphatic one to the flyweight quadrilogy between Devis and Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. Figueredo came in as the champ. Moreno is the interim champ. They unified and simply put, Moreno whooped him. It was dominant. Took Moreno, took Figueredo down at will. There were some nice scrambles. I actually thought Figgy did very well in the first round, but after that, just there wasn't much there for Moreno to worry about. Dominated him with the wrestling. And then the finish was superb. Brilliant TKO, stopped in between rounds because Figueredo's eye had closed. Nothing dirty about it. A tremendous punch from Moreno to get the, the finish. Because it wasn't competitive up to then. And I actually felt that rounds four and five was probably going to get even worse for Figueredo. Well, certainly looking out of just one eye, uh, no complaints at all about the stoppage. That was nasty, Joe. Mm. That was nasty. His eye closed up entirely. Uh, yeah, it did hinge on that on that one punch from Moreno, the debate about uh, whether it had been a poke or whether it happened no. after the punch. But, yeah, I think the replay showed he turned, turned his fist in. It's a, it's a gazelle punch. Marvin Hagler used to do it. and But the thing is, is that unlike this where the guy is backing away and he's leaping across Hagler would do it to intercept and it would be this kind of like whipping punch that you get around from there um, but yeah I thought Moreno so kind of like a check hook you're saying yeah kind of kind of it's yeah the the Hagler version is whereas this is more like yeah. it's closer to like a straight punch of sorts um, but yeah tremendous performance for Moreno and I just these guys have clearly gotten a lot better with each other but Moreno has kicked on to another level. And I actually almost feel like... I feel a bit bad for Figueredo because, like, you know, he's faced this guy. It's the only two losses on his record. It's the only draw on his record. 21 wins otherwise. Sorry, no. Two out of his three losses are to this guy. Sorry, my mistake. Um, I, I just felt like maybe if he'd fought someone else, maybe he would have been more ready for him in a way, if that makes sense. He wouldn't have had this sort of, like... I've got to face this guy again. I've got, you know, he wasn't, he, Moreno was constantly chasing him, really. Like, even in that yeah. trilogy, it was like, I have yeah. to put this guy away again. A hundred percent. I mean, who was Brandon Moreno before he fought Figueredo for the first time? Yeah. I think there were question marks even about him getting that shot to, to start off with. He came from absolutely nothing and made himself um, because of the draw that never was. Yeah. Great fight. But if it's not a draw, it's probably not made again. No. Who knows how Moreno deals with the competition below him? What is true, though, Joe, is that he has grown to be quite a big figure now in, in flyweight. And mm. uh, with that win over Kai Kara France in the intervening kind of moment when he wasn't fighting Figueredo, he's he's on top of the hill. Mm. Uh, looks great. And let's be honest, if they did make a fifth fight, yeah. God, please don't let that ever happen. But we're yeah. both picking Brandon Moreno. For sure. For sure. Figueredo said he's moving up to bantamweight and... Man, bantamweight when you're 35 years old and you're small for the division. I mean, I'm just going to read. So again, I'm going to do the bantamweight list, Tom. This, the list, it always sounds so good, doesn't it? But any of these guys, that, who who does Figueredo beat out of this? Of Saeed Nurmagomedov, Uman Nurmagomedov, Pedro Munoz, Chris Gutierrez, Ricky Simone, Song Yadong, Dominic Cruz, Rob Font, Corey Sandhagen, Marlon Vera, Mirab Dovashvili, Piotr Jan, Sean O'Malley. Aljamain Sterling. I mean, Dom, Dom Cruz. Dom Cruz is the name that popped out to me. Yeah, 100%. Oh, bro, Figueredo versus Sonia Dong. Oh, man, that could be a lot of fun. That sounds great. But, like, I'm having to go down to, like, Adrian Yanez. Like, God, like, there, there's nothing. There's nothing good waiting from there, I don't think. I I would struggle to pick Figueredo in, in that matchup against Yanez. No, no, I, w I wouldn't. I wouldn't. For Moreno... It's clear, the guy who's beaten him twice. No, is it twice or three times? He's beaten him twice now. Alexander Pantoja, once on the Ultimate Fighter, once in the UFC proper. This is the only matchup to make, isn't it? It uh, should be signed and sealed already. Uh, obviously, Pantoja on his own three-fight run. His last loss was to Askarov, who's 
who's left the UFC now, and before that was Figueredo. Mm. Um, beat, as you say, Moreno back in 2018. That was a different brand of Moreno, it would seem, but but let's find out. Let's find out, indeed. Uh, book it for what? May, June? This would be quite something if we could get a- that done. ASAP, Joe. I mean, Moreno should capitalise on this, and, uh, you know, he, can I start. Also, can I also point something out now? We have four title fights booked now. F- Hold on. We we will have had four title fights within the first quarter of this year involving Mexican fighters. Now think about where ex- Mexican MMA was, I mean, five, ten years ago. Nowhere near to this. The other one being Yair Rodriguez for an interim title against Josh Emmett, Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko, and Irena Aldana against Amanda Nunes. You could have four Mexican champions. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, Joe. But I don't think for it's sure. Happen. No, but they, they, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a sleeping giant, Mexico. Yeah. Like not 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 a natural home for mixed martial arts, perhaps, yeah. but certainly for combat sports in general. Oh, and for sure. Yeah, the sport is richer for for it. I mean, if we're thinking about like the most passionate fans when it comes to combat sports as well, Mexico, United Kingdom. Uh, what else is even on that level of those two? I mean, when it comes to like when you have big boxing matchups, like you saw it with that Liam Smith Chris Eubank Jr. fight, where the crowd was like ravenous for this, like just and it's not even a, it's not even on a world title level, just two British names going at it. It's the same thing with Mexico. What what other countries am I missing? Well, I think it's quick note for the crowd here, Joe, in Brazil. Oh. <laughs> It's bad. A bit of a low, bit of a low note. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what was going on, but it was, you know, the arena was empty on the early prelims. There was nobody in that no, crowd. No, no, no. By the time the main card rolled around, I think we were up to. I don't know the official statistics here, but just from looking, sixty percent maybe something like that. It didn't look a sellout. Couldn't at all. couldn't hear the crowd outside of uh, the jeering and and the whistling and the you're gonna die chance. Yeah. Um, and the sound of rubbish hitting the floor after Moreno stepped out as as the champ. So, yeah, yeah not really feeling that crowd. No, no. I always feel like you don't deserve another card now for a few years as punishment. Let's get to Mexico. Let's get to Mexico. Let's get to Mexico. Oh, man, a Mexican crowd. Moreno coming out to some Mexican music. That crowd going mad. Oh, yeah, son. Anyway, let's talk about the featured fight on this card. Gilbert Burns smashes Neil Magny, head and arm choke, no strikes absorbed from uh, Gilbert Burns. Uh, Magny couldn't get anything going. And uh, really, gatekeeper was shown that he is not anywhere near the other gate, which uh, Burns is prowling behind. Um, I mean, what are we doing here? Like this, this felt like a bit of a wasted opportunity. And I love Gilbert Burns calling out for Colby Covington because that it would be stonking, stonking, stonking fight. And if Covington could beat Burns, that would easily be the best win of his career. I I don't know if you'd get the credit for it. That's just the thing. Burns is he's he's a killer as he's mm. proved again here. He's drawn a big line in the sand where it's like, look, you fools are, are way back over there. Yeah. You ain't, you ain't crossing this. I'm in the top tier. Mm. We knew it already, but he took the assignment begrudgingly and, and Neil Magny felt his uh, displeasure with being matched up with someone past that line in the sand mm. because Burns absolutely ran through him. It was flawless. Yeah. Flawless performance. Couldn't do any more with the matchup, Burns. Magny has been a tricky opponent for many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burns, many fall to Magny. There's there's no shame in losing to a Neil Magny because well, in a, a Magny fight, Joe, you get caught in in a in a grappling exchange in the clinch. Mm. There are limbs everywhere. Yeah. You know. <laughs> why it's, why it's am I bleeding? Why, why can I yeah, taste blood? Like what's going on it's, here? It's a bit yeah, it's a mess, Joe. Mm. Uh, he's a very hard man to deal with. Very hard man to find the range against. But but Burns just absolutely controlled him. He dominated him. Can can I just tell you, Neil Magny's record in the UFC is twenty wins and nine losses. That is like superb. That's a superb record. And he's, yeah, he's the sort. He's the sorting machine, Joe. Yeah. Like, you pro- you progress to greatness. You are never seen on a main card again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. There is. I mean, the name that I always bring up in terms of the looming figure of welterweight is Shavkat Rachmanov. I don't think Burns should be given that assignment. 
I mean, I know Rachmanov has got Jeff Neal booked for March. Perfect fight, I think. Not for Jeff Neal, uh, but for Shakar Rachmanov, that is a perfect fight. Um, that's going to be on the Jones-Garn card, so that'll be, I mean, perfect placement for him to break out from there. But yeah, uh, just really excellent performance. I mean, Burns, it, it's Covington should be the fight, right? Like, that's that's what we should be looking for. Now, just to uh, go back on to the Burns Bilal Muhammad beef mm. that we we started on the preview pod, uh, both uh, exchanging shots over their respective places in the rankings. Burns went out and put Magni away like he did. Mm. Was that enough for you to nudge him back ahead of Bilal in their in their race? Mm. No, no. He what said- more can? Poor Gilbert Persia. What more can the man do? If he was going to go up, it'd be one place. It'd be one place. And I think Bilal with the that's win all, streak... That's all he needs. That's all he <laughs> needs to get back. He is there, though. He is there. There's, it's, it is like this chasm between... You know, at middleweight, the chasm is the top three. And at welterweight, it's the top five. Like, there, there's... Yeah. The, 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 no one's getting close to him. A top six, sorry, I should yeah, say, but- including the champ. Yeah, top six, including the champs. So you've got Burns, Mohamed, Chimaev, if he stays around at this weight class, Covington, Usman, and Leon Edwards. Mm. Uh, yeah, I I just feel bad for Burns. I don't know. Bilal, yeah. Bilal deserves to be in there. Can't deny him anymore either. Yeah. But it's it's kind of crazy that after a performance like that, the only change in the rankings is that Michael Chiesa overtakes <laughs> Neil Magny uh, for 12th. What? Is that it? <laughs> That's why, it. Why, why is Magni Mag- getting Mag- why is why is Magni getting murked like that? That's not fair. I think I think Magni should be should be going down. No, after a loss like that. No. Uh, Colby versus Burns. Book it. Book it. Book it, Dano. Right. Jessica Andrade <laughs> broke records in this fight against Lauren Murphy. Again, this is one. This is one of those where in boxing the ref just steps in and it's just like no 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 no. It's not why do why is it in MMA that we have to have the this person can barely move thing? Why can't the guy just step and go like you've had enough. This is enough. 231 significant strikes oh, in a three round fight. Chuck. Women's uh, fight. Let me tell you why. Why? All right. At what point do you stop the fight? End of Because the I'd seen enough Joe I, yeah, in the first minute <laughs> to know how this fight was going. Because, because I'm sorry, uh, Murphy just could not, could not hurt uh, Andrade. She couldn't get no. any respect. If anything, I thought Andrade was being too respectful. That, yeah, that's, you know. Well, you in, say that slapping, slapping her about like she was. <laughs> she could, she, she could have brutalized her in even worse fashion. I know. She treated her like a top tier opponent, which the rankings say she should be, Joe. And so, you know, we do have to see. So we have to see something yeah. to stop the fight. Can I can um, I just read to you the stats of the significant strikes? This is round rounds one to three. I'll start with Andrade and then Murphy. So Andrade sixty one to twenty two round one, seventy five to twenty nine round two, and then round three ninety five to forty nine. Andrade said that she had to take some pep off her shots because she was hurting her hands. Like it was, it was that was that was a molly whopping. That was a true true molly whopping. Like it was. Joe, I mean, it's it's you you know those those times when you wake up panicked in the night and you've been basically you've been in some kind of fighting exchange, ready to go, only mm. to find out that you've got pillow hands, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you can't do anything to stop the opponent. Yeah. That's what happened to to Murphy. Except she's been training a whole career to get to this moment. Anyway. It was Joe. It was shocking. She just could. It, it was like. I, well, I don't. I just don't know what more to say. No. Andrade did what she wanted. She did. She looked amazing. She looked phenomenal. But it all stemmed off the fact that that Murphy offered zero threat. For sure. Now, speaking of a threat, Johnny Walker knocked out Paul Craig in the first round. We were talking before we started uh, before we started the pod about Johnny Walker. Um, this guy is such an athlete. That we were talking about, if we were his coach, it's just like, Johnny, mate, you just counter-strike. You wait for them to do something, and then you just do what you want. Like, he he sort of throws a jab, you throw a spin kick. You know, just do, just wait for him to move first, and then you find the opening from there. Because he throws a kick, Paul Craig catches the kick, and then on one leg, 
Walker just unloads shots onto uh, Craig from there. I will say, though, Paul Craig did seem to be very content that he caught the leg and not much else and probably should have... I am I am I just being unfair that Paul Craig maybe should have taken the leg and treetopped him, sort of like lifted him up from there, get him off balance? Or do you think he had the window to do that? Joe, uh, I'm going to issue you a right a challenge right now. All right. right, I want you to go and take a uh, a plant pot from yeah. your room, and then Kirsten comes in and she smashes you on the head with a baseball bat, and <laughs> and you have to balance that that plant pot and and put it back on the on the table calmly with right. control and clear thinking because Johnny Walker fucking whooped him, Joe. <laughs> he he absolutely that what a shot yeah. off one leg. Straight right hand, oh my god! Turn the jaw on Craig. He, I'm not sure he was knew what was going on with no. Johnny Walker's leg at that at that stage. I'm watching it now again, Joe, yeah. as we speak. It's hellacious. Ends up collapsing into the fence uh, after taking that shot. He is, by the way, trying to to tree top Walker or trying to sh- shuck him off balance after taking the shot. Mm. Um, collapses into the fence, leg still in hand. And wow, my God, that finish, Joe. That yeah. was devast- devastating. Like, what do we call that? Those strikes. The hammer fist. The hammer, no, but the hammer fist, it's more like sledgehammer, Joe. It's <laughs> coming from six foot six in the air. Yeah. Uh, straight down. It was just t- crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I'm watching it now as well. Like, he throws, was it the left kick? No, right. And then, oh, God, it was instantaneous. Yeah, Craig had nothing he could do here. And then those shots are just... That is disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> just I, I've just never seen a finish like I said before. We could be on for the funniest fight of the year immediately. Instead, we got the funniest finish of the year, or at least I don't know if it was funny, but <laughs> anyway, listeners, let's go through our predictions. What we uh, had for last week, uh, they, Joe. They don't want to hear that. So we both predicted a Johnny Walker. We we both predicted a Johnny Walker knockout. We uh, I predicted an Andrade knockout. You went Andrade decision. Four points for me so far. Uh, yep. Then Gilbert Burns, Neil Magny. I had a Burns sub. You had a Burns decision. Both picked Figueredo. And then I picked Jamal Hill by knockout. You got the decision win. So I sneak it by a point. I am the... I am. I won. Hold on, Joe. Hold on. Stop the press here. You had... Oh, you, uh, you, yeah. Yeah, you Andrade, get the one point... I get one point for Andrade, you get two. I get two yeah. points for Burns, you get one. So it levels out there. And then Jamal Hill sneaks yeah. it for me by a point. Yeah. Thank you very much. Wait, hold on. Did I pick that? Did I pick the, the Andrade decision? I don't remember. <laughs> I think you had Murphy, Joe. I did not. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> no, I had Andrade decision. I had an Andrade decision. Joe, my conclusion with this is all mired in controversy. Uh, not in a fit state to award the belt this time. It returns to the lineal champ. No, I'm the champ. I just won. Like that's that's fine. I had Andrade's decision. I just checked the notes. Thank you very All much. Right. I'm the champ. Booyah! All right, that's what you get for messing around with me. Now let's talk about the prelims. Um, let's talk about the brothers, the Bonfim brothers. I'm going to ask you, Tom, which finish did you like more, Gabriel Bonfim's mounted guillotine, or Ishmael Bonfim's? Flying knee to Terence McKinney. Which one did you prefer? I mean, of course, the mounted guillotine came so early in the fight, uh, and mm. it was reactive to the situation. Mm. Um, so I think you've got to credit that for the skill involved there mm. and the result in that he took no damage against uh, Munir Laziz, who you know can be a threat. Yeah, but I'm going to pick. The Ismail Bonfim knockout for the spectacular nature of it against Terence McKinney, a man with quite a few highlights to his own name. Uh, that was a real, you know, that was yeah. a real welcome to the UFC, welcome to the big time for both of these guys. Yeah, yeah, that that flying knee was superb. It was set up really well. Kept McKinney kept reacting to Bonfim, and Bonfim was just able to read him from there. It was like any time, like any time McKinney like threw Bonfim would just blitz him. Normally with like a left straight over the top of McKinney's jab. Um, and then that flying knee, just no setup to it either. No sort of feint and just sort of threw it from there. He had absolute confidence in his striking and really did batter McKinney. I also want to talk about 
Bruno Ferreira defeating our boy Gregory Rodriguez. Sad that Rodriguez lost, obviously. But let's talk about this finish. A counter left hook where Ferreira sort of did this shoulder roll strike feint with the left. Same thing with the right. And then the same movement again. At which point Rodriguez is thinking this is a feint. And Ferreira threw a monstrous left hook that Rodriguez just did not see. Clean shot. Done. Rodriguez knocked out. Yeah, it was one of those just on on the button, the yeah. off button, the to off. be precise, <laughs> because yeah. uh, Rodriguez was was totally out. Mm. Uh, big shot, but not you know I've 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 seen I've seen Gregory take bigger shots yeah. and, and keep marching forwards. Uh, but I think, as you say, it was the kind of disguised nature. He just really didn't didn't see it coming, mm. and right on on the chin. Yeah, great show for Ferreira. Congratulations, you're gonna you're gonna get another fight. Mm. Doesn't do too much for my love for RoboCop. So no, all right with that, Joe. I mean, looking down these prelims, they were great. If you haven't seen them yet, yeah, uh, listeners, can they, we talk about? Should give it time. Can oh. we talk about something sad first, though, before we get onto the good stuff? Let's talk about Shogun Hua retiring. I mean, five years too late. It you know against this uh, Potiera is that how you say his name? I forgot how to say his name. He's pissed off a lot of people, though, with his dancing after knocking out Shogun in his retirement fight. Shogun then retires. Tone deaf. Yeah, very tone deaf. You know, just, you'll get another win, mate. You don't need to do this right now. You can do your crap dancing another time. Shogun retires. A legend. A true, true legend of the sport. And, um, but, listen, mate, you took one too many. Really did one too many. And I kind of wish there was a nice veteran that he could have, like, gone out on. Uh, It's almost as if he did have that fight a year or two ago against Little Nog, but decided he wanted another. But let's talk about something great here, Tom. Uh, Jailton Almeida defeats Shamil Abdurakimov. Uh, I described it as a boa constrictor. Um, what animal are you going to use as your description for this uh, performance? Uh, I think that's the, just a fantastic comparison, Joe, because it was suffocating. It was like gradual calculated draining the opponent every advance was getting just that little bit further he just drowned Abdurakimov mm. um, you know slowly and, and efficiently Abdurakimov showed some proficiency in, in uh, you know rev- like trying to fight from being on the mat in the, in the first round you know he showed some mm. awareness to get out of positions that would later prove to be oh so dangerous but ultimately it sapped him of that little bit of explosion that little bit of energy that he would need later in the fight and and Jelton just well just drowned him Joe yeah I think Almeida as well I've I said it before I want him to just have that run at light heavyweight before fully committing to heavyweight I think he's a real menace for that division and I would give him a ranked guy right now like give him a top ten guy right now at light heavyweight. I think he's that good. I I guess my only only thoughts there, Joe, are that the fighters at light heavyweight are more well rounded than the fights at heavyweight. Yeah, that's what I want to uh, see though. I want to see him against these guys. Him so what Krilov? you're saying is, are you saying that he's got heavyweight locked up? But first, he should have a go at light heavyweight. Is that? I think. Have a go at light heavyweight. That's the bigger challenge right now. Don't settle into heavyweight just yet because that cut down to light heavyweight will become more difficult. I would take that run at light heavy before... Because he can clearly win at heavyweight. I mean, Abdu Rakimov is a bigger man than him and he <laughs> ragdolled him. Like, it wasn't wasn't competitive in the slightest. So, yeah, I would, I would do that. Now, Tom, tell me about Josian Nunes versus Zara Fine. Zara, fine. <laughs> Tell me about this fight. Because you messaged well, me and you said, you have to watch this, Joe. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, it's not my usual uh, usual Saturday night uh, viewing, but it was what was in front of me and I wanted to watch some UFC. Um, so, yeah, we had Nunes, who's fighting at women's featherweight. Uh, she is five foot two. Yeah. So that is, you know, for our... European brothers out there. It's maybe one 155, something like that. Yeah. Fighting in the same division that we had uh Megan Anderson. Yeah. Six foot, one eight three. Yeah. Um so she's given up a lot, Joe, to fight uh, at, in that weight class. 
in terms of range and mm. reach. And she met a woman uh, in Z- Zara Fine Dos Santos, uh, I believe a kickboxer, certainly a boxer. Mm. Um, didn't, didn't didn't do the research. I'll be honest. Yeah. And much taller woman, five eight. And you had to watch it because it was just, just we you could see the limitations of the of the division. Mm. Let's just say that it was extremely frustrating to watch. <laughs> uh, they were both like. I mean, Nunez spent most of her fight just standing in range, not in the pocket, but in Santos's kicking range, which Santos exploited beautifully in the first round to throw kicks. Mm. But as she started the tire, Nunez would occasionally just come like charging in with what I can only describe as like Superman double jab. <laughs> uh, so, so, so you have to picture this, Joe. Both fists are flying forwards at the same motion yeah. at the same time. And she's like... She's running. Yeah. Uh, now, that was too much for Fern, Joe. I'll tell, yeah. you, I'll tell you now, a spoiler, that beat uh, Dos Santos, uh, yeah. Sarah Fern. She, she, Silly fight, but fun. I was watching it, and uh, Kirsten, my partner, was uh, sat next to me, and she was watching it as well. And she went like, oh, that little one's very feisty, isn't she? And I was just like, yeah, that's definitely a way to describe that. A lot of really, like, slapping hooks and whatnot. Like, it was... It was yeah, a lot of a lot of winging, a lot of winging shots, and then someone going backwards, going like, "Oh, get off me! Like, leave me alone." That was the the main feeling of this. Anything else from the prelims? Or are we good to move on? Oh, Tiago Moises with a really good uh, finish of uh, uh, Melquisel Costa. Um, Moises just showed that he's class, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd like to see Costa again, though. Yeah, you shame. didn't disgrace so. yourself, sir. And Daniel Marcos. With a great finish over Simon Oliveira to open the card. Uh, knees to the body, crumpled him, got the finish from there. 14 and 0 at Bantamweight, Joe, just <sighs> Bantamweight things. Man. Yeah, just get any. I'll, I'll, uh, hold on, let me come up with a Bantamweight that he could fight, and you tell me yes or no, okay? Uh, how about. I don't know. Javid Basharat? Oh, I mean, what's Basharat's record, Joe? He's he's coming two up and sixteen. Well, in the UFC, sure, but oh, thirteen guys, and just thirteen and oh. They're just everywhere. It's hard to find someone who's not beaten, and these are the guys outside the rankings again. Victor Henry, um, Victor Henry, yeah, he's he's come up against some some challenges now. I mean, I don't like to see guys with clean records getting faced off outside the rankings. I think that's a shame. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Let's. Well, that's it. That's the card wrapped up. Good card, fun card. Great, great card, great card. Yeah, it was it great was, card. Uh, I mean, the Bonfim brothers, Joe. They're the biggest, biggest excitement for me coming out of this. Not Hill. Well, that's wrapped up in the sadness of seeing of seeing Glover go and the absence of like super tantalising matchup right around the corner. Mm. For me, these Bonfim boys coming in, we've got 19 and 3, Ishmael, I believe the older brother, and then, no, the younger brother. The older brother is, uh, no, Gabriel's the younger brother. Yeah. Young, he's the younger brother. And 14 and 0. Mm. I don't know. It's you got double assault, two weight classes, lightweight and welterweight, both with... Like amazing mm. introductions to the UFC. I'm, I'm excited to see where these guys can go. Good. Well, we've uh, spoken about something positive. So let's talk about something horrible. Um, I'll read the quote from the headline and then we'll go through it. He would have killed me. Uh, Conor McGregor accused of assaulting woman on private yacht. Now, it's a mad story that uh, a party was happening on a private yacht uh, for Conor's birthday party last year. And um, this woman is alleging that Connor assaulted her to the point where she had to jump off of the boat into the water and then be saved by by life by the Coast Guard in Ibiza. They had to pick her up in a different boat and take her away from there. And naturally, as is the case with all these things, you got people going like, she's a liar, she's trying to get this, she's trying to get that. Um, I'm sorry to say that with Connor, it, it's piling up, these stories. There's more and more, there's still two ongoing rape allegations, rape investigations in Ireland at the moment, as was reported in the New York Times. 
Um, it, why? <laughs> it's just gotten to the point now with him of it's almost not surprising anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 like oh well, Connor's involved in another ridiculous, crazy thing. You know, he had the this incident with the woman, the incident with the fan with the phone where he broke the phone. He had the guy, the old man at the pub that he assaulted. The referee when he jumped into the cage with the referee. It's always him. It's always always him. And I know that people can reform and I know that people can do this, but there is never any contrition shown on his end at all. It's just horrible, isn't it? You know, it's how many how many other athletes really get this many incidents? Well, John Jones springs to mind, but it's yes. uh, the f- the fact that yeah, he, he does, seems to almost go untainted by these things. People still want to see him come out and potentially coach on on tough. They still want to see mm. uh, matchups for for Connor. Uh, I don't. You're not bothered about seeing him again. I I don't I don't want to see him. I I will watch Joe. I'm not going to try to him tell versus you. Michael Chandler. You're going to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Him yeah. versus Michael. This this is the thing. They've obviously now posted the thing about him being on coaching on the Ultimate Fighter because gets him back out there. He can do some of his funny lines. He can talk a bit of crap, and everyone's just like, "Oh, the old Connor's back." And it's him versus Chandler, and Chandler's going to be a bit corny and nerdy, so it's going to make Connor look even more cool and brutal with his lines and yada yada yada. Does just... he have that? Does he still have that? I, I don't know. I feel that like last he's... press conference with Poirier, he got yeah. smoked. Verbally by Poirier as well, and Poirier is no shit talker. Like he's not a great promo. I mean, it's it's diminished the man. It's clearly substance abuse. I think is is taking a toll. Mm. For sure, definitely, definitely. Don't be like Conor McGregor. No. Let's talk about something else that's terrible. Power Slap League. The pay came out for this. Did you see this? I did, Joe. I yeah. saw two and two. Two to show, and an extra two if you win progressively more as you go further in it eric spicely was uh, offered a slot on a former ufc fighter turned it down when he saw what the pay was i mean this is just visible isn't it two and two like really this is just bleak and depressing stuff yeah i mean i'm not going to comment so much on the pay because because i i just i for me this is stands against what I love about MMA, what I love about the sport, combat sports, it's mm. uh, it, it's indefensible. You know, you, yeah. it's, it's it's pay for for pure punishment. There's no skill element. Oh it's, right, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just really against it. It's not some some beautiful science. It's there's no game plan. It's, it's just being beaten for money. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's sick, Joe. It's sick. It's yeah. I, I watched. I'm sorry, I'm, I watched I'm really ten minutes to the first episode, and it was just—it's just dreadful. Like it's absolutely dreadful. Like Dana has been desperate to get another thing going. He had the surfing show that obviously went nowhere. He had the boxing one that didn't go anywhere. And now this is the only one, and the viewership is terrible as well. Yeah, awful, awful. Um, should we wrap it up there, or should I t- talk about the? The thing I mentioned before the pod. Yeah, I know there's something you wanted to to get yeah. off your chest that, that's been bothering you. It has. Before, it is, before, yeah, before you end on that one, though, Joe, I do have one fight announcement, one bit of good news. Go Can't on. have people just on a 10-minute downer here. <laughs> All right, where do you go for good news? You go to Bantamweight. It's a fight announcement, Joe. Go on. Has it slipped past your radar? What? We have got a banger. we got rank number eight. Song Yadong, he's going to oh. fight Ricky Simone. Oh! <laughs> oh, man. Man, Song just takes the punishment, doesn't he? My God. Non-stop. And for Ricky Simone, of course, is a chance to get that kind of loss that he had to Faber. You remember that? Yeah. Some, in some parallel universe, he right at Faber, knocked out Ricky Simone. Mm. Well, now the prodigal son, Song Yadong, Ricky Simone's going to get a chance against him. That's April 22nd. Great oh, fight. Love it. Absolutely love it. I had not seen that news. That is tremendous. Oh, I'm so well, I happy. Thought, I could see you needed to pick me up, Joe, because I know you're going to take us into a dark side. <laughs> right now. Yeah, this is... Uh, 
So, um, I am a fan of professional wrestling, and I have been for a long time. And last week, a pro wrestler died, and it wasn't what you're expecting of steroids or whatever else. This guy, Jay, Jay Briscoe, was his working name, died in a car crash after a woman pulled across a couple lanes of traffic, crashed into a car and killed him. 38 years old. He was a tremendous wrestler, great tag team wrestler, great singles wrestler. But maybe what came out most after his death was people going through his old promos, and he was a tremendous, tremendous promo. And he wrestled in Ring of Honor, which is a sort of indie promotion, slightly, you know, not quite on the level of like a WWE or an AEW. Uh, Ring of Honor is owned by Tony Khan. Tony Khan also owns AEW Pro Wrestling. Um, And about 10 years ago, Jay Briscoe posted on Twitter homophobic remarks, really quite horrible homophobic remarks. And he deleted them, and he apologised for them, and he spent the last 10 years trying to build bridges, donating to charities, doing work with charities, to show his remorse and his contrition. And when he died, a lot of people were waiting to see what the LGBTQ pro wrestlers were going to say about Jay Briscoe, because it was just like, if they're all silent, like, well, maybe this guy was just a fake. And they all said, this guy was so apologetic, showed such contrition, and wanted us to know that that was not who he was, and that he didn't want people to come to work feeling like they were going to be getting hate, because that's not who he is. And he did this for 10 years, and he was denied spots in WWE and in AEW because of this. He died, and TNT said to AEW, you cannot put a tribute, you cannot do a tribute to Jay Briscoe on this show because of what he said 10 years ago. And after the latest episode of AEW Dynamite finished, Power Slap comes on, and Dana White is on there saying, sometimes you really just need to slap someone, sometimes you just really get the urge to really slap someone. And it really disgusted me, truly disgusted me, because I have to ask the question, at what point do we accept a person's apology? How long does someone have to apologise for? You know, do we just punish people for not showing enough of the correct contrition well, for these instances? Joe, I think you've got the answer for you there. In the case of Dana White, I think it's just uh, New Year's Day. So we're talking about 26 days out from slapping his his partner. Mm. Uh, and he's, he's promoting a pap- power slap show in which he uh, makes those remarks that sometimes you just really need to hit people. So yeah, uh, it's it's for me it's the juxtaposition between the two that's that's particularly jarring. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean in the case of Jay Briscoe, probably the man had earned the right to be forgotten. Yeah, uh, and and Dana White acquired that right. It would seem in in much shorter time. So it shows about power and, and politics and, and money. That's the thing that we condemn, and the money that they he can supposedly make them also saying that the viewership for this power slap is terrible sub 200,000 people watching it you know it's, this is not this is not something that they're going to miss like if it's not there anyway I, f- I feel anyway I just it, I wanted to, it was just bugging me for the last week or so and I just wanted to get that off my chest and I felt like this was a, a good venue to do that because there is a link to the sport of MMA and you should go out there, if you are a fan of pro wrestling and you don't know much about Jay Briscoe, go watch his work. Tremendous. His tag team with his brother Mark is great and his promos are superb. I might play a promo of his at the end because just to get a vibe of him. Man was a one-off. Really was. Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week. He's back, brother. The Spiv is back. <laughs> Sergey Spivak is back and he's facing Derek Lewis. At one o'clock in the morning, boys. (laughs) (laughs) One o'clock in the morning because it was supposed to be the Korean Zombie main event, and they've got a bunch of Korean fighters on the card, so they're going to keep it at that time for the Korean audience. Not because they love the Spivak, we love the Spiv. Oh man, can't wait for this. Uh, He faces Derek Lewis. I haven't even said who he's facing. He's facing the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. We'll be back next week to preview that card, break down the latest news, fight announcements. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Yep, thanks, Joe, and congratulations. On? 
your transition to becoming a champion. Oh, yes, thank <laughs> you. I'm sorry, I'm not used to it. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am the champ. And uh, I will reign supreme for at least four weeks. So, uh, listeners, uh, thank you so much. You can contact us at holdonbrother69 at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye, Thanks listeners. Everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let me tell y'all why we don't like Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. You see, the majority of pro wrestling fans look at tag teams from uh, Monday night you know, they put them up on this pedestal just because they was on Monday Night Raw. Briscoe's ain't never been on there. They must be down here. World's greatest tag team, hooray! Monday Night Raw, my ass. That's the number one reason why we don't like Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin because people, the average wrestling fan, the majority of wrestling fans, not all of them, but the majority of wrestling fans put them above the Briscoes by default. Now, let me tell y'all a story. About two years ago, about two years, was it? Two, two and a half. Two, two and a half years ago, we had a little trial match for WWE. It's before SmackDown taping in Philadelphia. We went in there, had a little trial, you know, did our thing, whatever. I guess they was impressed because they invited us down to Florida for a week at their little FCW Developmental Center. All expenses paid. All expenses paid in the Hyatt Chillin'. But either way, either way, we was down there, you know, had a little trial. We was down there for a week. I thought things went good. I, and that's what they said, too. We thought it went real good down there. Then everybody was telling us, yeah, y'all doing real good. Y'all might get these contracts. This was two years ago. I'm just seeing dollar signs. They talking about y'all might get these contracts. So, you know, we're waiting around. We get back home. We waiting. I'm, I'm telling all my boys, like, yeah. We did it down there. We getting ready to all be eating. It's going to be on our tag. We done did it down there, boys. You know, we hype. I'm telling my wife she ain't never going to have work again. You know, she can quit bartending. She, we got this. You know, so we wait a month go by, another couple months, we get a phone call. Apparently, the Briscoes are not cosmetically pleasing enough for the WWE. That exact word. Come on now. Exact words. Cosmetically, please. Well, excuse me, Mr. John Laurinaitis. I forgot this was a damn beauty contest. Cosmetically pleasing my ass. Preach, brother. And the thing that got me, man, the boys down in developmental, I mean, yeah, you got some good ones, of course. Mainly the people from ROH, but the majority of them weren't even really that nice. You know what I'm saying? They, I mean, shoot, they come right out of modeling school, right off of the uh, Tough Man contest where they show their little muscles and shit. They walk right into to developmental, sign a little deal, you know, train in developmental for a few months. The next thing you know, they're on TV, they're millionaires. Hey, 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 what happened to paying your dues, brother? What the hell happened to paying your dues? What happened to paying your dues? You know, we broke in old school about 12 years ago. For y'all young boys, about 12 years ago, I remember setting up the chairs, setting up the ring before the show, uh, a bullshit indie show that's going to be about 40 people there, and I'd be hype as a bitch. You remember that, setting Hell up yeah. them chairs? And getting cussed out because we ain't set them up straight enough. Well, yeah, getting the ring ready and everything, hype, getting ready to wrestle in front of 40 people. Y'all have no idea what that's like. Y'all can't even relate to that back in the day, coming up through the indies, grinding your way up. But no, we're not cosmetically pleasing enough to get paid. I guess that's what they're trying to tell us. Guess what they that's what they're trying to tell us. Charlie Haas, I get you spent a couple weeks on the indies, grinding your way through. Shit, Shelton Benjamin, you you the main kind of type of dude we talking about. How many rings you done set up now, huh? Shelton? How many rings you set up, Shelton? How many, how many rows of chairs you done put out there, Shelton? Hey, if final battle, if this show, Friday night final battle, depended on Shelton Benjamin setting up the ring and setting up all the chairs, it wouldn't be no show. It won't be no damn show because he don't know what the hell he's doing. He ain't paid his damn dues in my book. In our book, he ain't paid his dues. Go fight live people, be sitting there like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, they don't know what the hell to do. If Shelton Benjamin, if we depended on that bitch to get this show ready. But see, that's what you do as a pro wrestler. As a pro wrestler, that's what the hell you do. But y'all can't relate to that. Y'all millionaires, man. We get up every single day, go to work, support the kids, support the wife. Every single day, man, we don't get sit down on the beach in Tampa, hold our balls, get a suntan, 
and then do a little show. Next thing you know, we caught up, we millionaires, and they like that for us. We're not cosmetically pleasing enough for that shit. Y'all had no idea, man. Looking to foreclose this shit. I'm getting ready to get foreclosed on. At least that's what they say, but I'm gonna make it through. Trust me. I'm a grinder, baby. You ain't gotta worry about that. You ain't got to worry about no. You ain't got to worry about that though, big money. You know, you, you need a little knee surgery. You uh spring your pinky finger or something. That's on Vinnie Mac to have. Yeah, Vinnie told right. that. Shoot, I'm still paying off my bills from Detroit. Mm. Look it up. Yeah, Detroit. WrestleMania weekend, a few years back. Look that up. Look that up. I'm paying that for the rest of my life. Hey, but that's all right. Hey, back to the topic though, Shelton Benjamin. Shelton Benjamin, you got an easy ride, boy. In our eyes, that's why your ribs taped up. Charlie Haas, you ain't much better either. That's why your ribs taped up, Shelton Benjamin, on some David Otunga shit. Jennifer Hudson, my A. You look better when you was fat, bitch. Shit. Well, back to the topic. This Friday night, this Friday night, you can look at it however you want to. You can look at it as WWE versus ROH. You can look at it as sports entertainment versus pro wrestling. Satisfied rich people versus hungry, still coming at your ass. Poor people, they don't give a shit because we still coming. It ain't got nothing to lose. Bottom line is, it's the world's greatest tag team versus them boys. And I, I mean, I don't like to say, you know, I don't like to use the term biggest match of our career, but never. Never in the 12 years that we've been doing this shit have we had so much to prove. The belts don't be nothing. It's going to be seven times regardless. Charlie Haas, Shelton Benjamin, this Friday night, we got to prove a point, boys.